We're interested in how a person grows. For Dawn, her growth is deeply entangled with her craft. Dawn has been auctioning and exhibiting her paintings since she was eight. The composed and soft-spoken artist tells us how her relationship with her art has evolved over time. While motivations and objectives have changed, art, according to her, has always been a medium for emotional expression and healing. Now, she hopes to create similar experiences with her clients. Can we start with you just giving us a very brief introduction of yourself for, so that our audience can understand who we are talking to today? Okay, hi, my name is Dawn. I'm a painter, a potter, and I'm currently studying my master's in art therapy at La Salle. Great! <laughs> <laughs> very succinct. Yeah, actually, um, I was hoping that today you can be as open as you can with us because I feel like for our podcast um, we're really trying to understand how people navigate through their lives um, it could be like from uh, through, through bad things through good things but it's really about understanding the feelings that come behind these experiences mm. and how we process the feelings mm. um, because we know at a lot of points in our lives we, we struggle to to make sense of Mm. Yeah, and then this podcast is really to help people move forward in their lives mm. by understanding where they are at right now. Mm. Yeah, so um, if we could just go all the way back um, to your first exhibition that mm. you did when you were nine, right? Um, and then we understand from you that um, you were very privileged in a sense where your parents were very supportive since young. Mm. Um, but that also came with um, its quote-unquote consequences mm. because you had people who criticized you for uh, having this privilege. Mm. Um, at that point, did you feel like, like, how did you process those criticisms? Because you were very young. Mm. It wasn't easy to, to allow people to say these things to you and for you to accept it. Mm. Yeah, just just a brief background mm. on um, how it all started. Because um, we went on a mission trip when I was five years old to Vietnam and then we we were giving out food supplies to the needy in different types of provinces and the hospitals and we saw lots of urban victims, cancer victims, um, children who were born without an upper lip so they had cleft palate deformities and um, in a sense it really just um, reminded me of how different our lives could be so at that age we went back home and then I started to auction my paintings when I was eight years old we raised about fifteen thousand dollars during the first auction and at nine years old we raised about forty thousand dollars in the second auction and all the proceeds went to charity so at that time um, being at that age I I wouldn't say I knew exactly everything that was going on, but I did know that I was donating my paintings for this cause. And I didn't quite understand like all the implications of it in the sense that I I do feel pressured to continue the work that was started at a young age that I didn't quite sign up for in a sense, but I also want to make the best use of the opportunity because not everyone will have this chance to help other people. Mm -hmm. And as for the buyers who buy my artwork and invest in it, 
they definitely see some sort of potential in me and they want to support um, the artist as much as they want to support the course. So when I enrolled in SOTA when I was uh, 13 years old, back then it was quite a competitive environment. So the criticisms that came along uh, were in the form of questions like, uh, oh, who is she to have such a portfolio, you know? And there were sometimes media would come to our school to film. And I think back then that it kind of um, fostered a lot of jealousy and just a very big sense of competition between those in the arts. Mm-hmm. I think back then I didn't really know how to process my feelings, so I would just cry about it. Um, at the same time, I would say my parents, um, they mean well, they mean the best for me, but it can be very stressful when they are the ones um, seeing the potential in me and then wanting to grow it. And then it became a family thing where we would have exhibitions every single year. Um, in a sense, it's good because we got to support many organizations uh, like the Singapore Kidney Dialysis Foundation, the Heart Foundation, Cancer Society, um, the New Carries Mission, which is uh, an organization that helps extra offenders move um, from uh, after they are released from prison into back into society. So we helped, we managed to, to donate lots of things and I think it stems from like my family's very Christian-centric perspective on wanting to help others in need. Um, but I think over the years, especially in the adolescence period, it became rather stressful and maybe in a sense I just swallowed swallowed it and I just like gritted my teeth and carried on mm-hmm. yeah so um, you felt like mm, so in a sense you just took it on yeah, yeah. the stresses that you were experiencing do you feel like that translated into the work you did as well I think when I was younger um, I didn't really need to think so much about artwork and consumer demands mm. and what would be most sellable or what um, would be most popular. Back then, it was more of just painting in an uninhibited way mm. and wanting to um, do what I felt was beautiful. And um, instead of like worrying so much about having resources to if like let's say I right now as an adult you know and I'm painting I consider the cost of spending a whole day on a single painting and if I fail in a sense I'll be wasting a canvas I'll be wasting the pain and the time and energy which is especially precious at like at this stage of life where I'm juggling a lot of things so in a sense it is very um, pressurizing and I do have a very big inner critic that will judge me um, judge my artwork and the process and so I think it's just a shift from growing up using like doing art for so long and dedicating so much time and energy to it and then your perspective towards it definitely will shift a little especially when you're trying to negotiate how um, painting and making art with a passion must also be met with this idea of sustainability and wanting to continue it as a career mm-hmm. And especially if you want to integrate it in your lifestyle, it has to be sustainable in a sense, unless you have a lot of, you know, uh, 
extra like disposable income in order to support your craft. Mm. When you were younger, did you feel like the art that you were doing was more for yourself or for serving others? And how is that compared to the art that you do now? Mm. Yeah, good question. I think when I was young, the process was always painting first and then accumulating a large number of paintings to exhibit. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, we never really aimed to have an exhibition by a certain deadline. But it was only because the paintings kept coming and then there were so many, then my family was like, oh, let's have an exhibition at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And I think now it's different in the sense that there's a target. So um, my latest exhibition was in 2017 and then I had been on a hiatus for quite a while so my my mother's friend had brought me to an exhibition and she said you know you should exhibit too you it's been so long since you did and I I said okay I'll do it so I spent I dedicated time in order to prepare for a specific exhibition which was titled synthesis and it was held at ION um currently I'm working on um another solo exhibition at American Club which will be held in August so, in that sense, the order of the process has shifted. Has shifted because there is a an objective and a goal, which is also to um, make it sustainable and make more money. Back then, before my eighth solo exhibition, all the money had been sent to charity. Mm-hmm. So I was painting. My family was buying canvases and materials at our own cost. So only in 2017, we started taking uh, 70% of the uh, profit. Mm. Actually, could I ask, since you're doing this more for um, yourself and mm. also like sustaining your own art now, is there more pressure, you would say? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's quite pressurizing to think of what people would buy versus what I would paint spontaneously and whether I can find like a nice uh, sweet spot where that intersects. So currently, I do specialize in abstract art, but at the same time, I'm also um, trying to push my boundaries and paint uh, semi-realistic kind of representational things like nature and just a lot more um, diversification of my subject matter. Um, you were saying how um, for you doing art, it's really, especially when you were younger, it's really just going along with how you feel about things, you know, how you feel like painting. Um, it's about like how how you're gaining an understanding that um, like what art is doing for you versus like you just um, doing it for the sake of. Because I'll... Uh, I read somewhere that you say that art is a business of change, right? Mm. But that must be an understanding that only came when you grew older. Mm. Um, when this process of understanding start for you, in mm. terms of like, oh, I'm feeling this way when I'm doing art. Mm. Yeah, because when you were younger, it's probably just, oh, art is fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the experience of enjoying art at a younger age is really about play and it's mostly centered on this idea of exploration and um, enjoyment. I think play has a big part in learning to explore the different boundaries of the medium, meaning like how fast the fluid medium will run across the canvas 
when to stop it or how to dilute it, um, how concentrated it's going to be and how different it looks like when it's dried. So this aspect of play has a very large significance in terms of understanding the medium and pushing its boundaries. But at the moment, when I became more mindful of what my relationship with art is, I would say it has more depth and it's more multidimensional now. The understanding of it is um, not only deeper but more mindful and I try to be very present when I'm interacting with the material not only because I know what the final product is going to be solving uh, for its purpose but also because the experience in itself can be very transformative. Mm. So whether you're dabbling in a medium that is very fluid or a medium that is allows you to um, have a lot of boundaries like markers or um, even clay, um, those mediums will provide different experiences like whether they are for emotional regulation or grounding or catharsis. Mm. Um, and in that sense, that transformative experience, uh, experience can be used to, to help others as well when you direct that energy and structure those um, experiences in a specific way, which is why I decided to explore art therapy as like, mm. another career. Mm. Um, so you, you want people to be inspired by your art. Mm. Have you gotten feedback about that? Like, do you have a f- favourite feedback where people told you that, you know, looking at your art made you feel a certain way? Yeah, actually my favourite moment was when I had my 2017 exhibition mm. and um, and a schoolmate had attended it alone. So then he was walking around with a little pen and notebook and he's staring at it for quite some time and at the end of the whole tour he came with a poem and then he said like oh your art has inspired me so much that I wrote I wrote a poem about it and uh, after that he became my boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> so, that's such a cute story it is, it is. Yeah. Yes. so in a sense I'm very lucky because my art had like touched him in some way mm. and, and he was able to respond with another piece of art. Mm. How did you choose to do communications mm. um, after going to SOTA? I think after graduating from SOTA, um, a lot of people were deciding whether to continue pursuing art or to, continue, or to pursue something academic. And I was quite set on trying to pursue art overseas, but it was so expensive. And... And so I was betting on two scholarships. And so I only got a local one and I settled for it in a sense. Mm. My my parents were very encouraging, almost almost too encouraging uh, towards pursuing communications. Mm. Because even though I, I knew at heart I, I, that was not something that I really wanted, I also recognised the fact that I needed some sort of backup career plan because pursuing art in Singapore is not exactly the most sustainable thing and um, not everyone appreciates or values art. I mean, just looking at the recent post like by Straits Times on the COVID, mm. um, the necessity of artists in COVID times. Mm. So... I recognize its importance, but I think it was a very trying first two years for me because I would be so upset and 
wondering to myself, like, did I make the wrong choice? Why am I spending four years in university pursuing something that I'm not super passionate about? Mm-hmm. But looking back, I realized how much um, it served me because it was very important in order to not only make art, but also to be able to market it. Mm-hmm. So currently with a lot of side projects that I produce, I also use my marketing and communication um, skill set to help me make my brand identity or launch products or market um, yeah make my brand identity or launch products mm. Mm. was there a specific um, like niche that you did in communication yeah so my my specialization was in advertising mm. was it something that help? do you think helps you now with um, I guess advertising your art yeah, so um, currently I have a few side projects. Like mm. I launched some enamel pins mm. and then we launched like a virtual transformation program called Alchemy of the Self. Uh, I did it with my boyfriend and um, that publication or that transformation program uh, utilized both our skills. Like, so he's a movement practitioner and um, being an artist or a designer, mm. I was able to design the interior of the program and also be able to market it online um i also market like my jewelry i have a side brand called balm jewelry which is about resin pieces and um, usually my clients will give me precious things that they want to embed in it uh, for loved ones i also market my workshops uh, that i do i do pottery and resin workshops yeah. actually we found it very interesting how like, you seem to be so grounded in practicality as well especially given your your level of success and I guess um, the response to your work as well it seems like people are receiving it well it seems like you're doing well but it seems like you, you still understand that like you said it's not it does not seem to be as practical to do that in Singapore. Um, do you feel like you're still um, holding on fear in a sense where you're not sure whether your art will sustain you now? Mm. Yeah, I definitely do do have that fear um, because the demand in Singapore for art is just not extremely high. I do see a lot of freelance people doing embroidery or pottery online. But at the same time, I maybe I can pursue that in a phase in life where I'm more comfortable and more settled down and then I'll feel more relaxed. Um, but for now, I think um, my choice to pursue art therapy is also one that will give me a more sustainable job and it gives me meaning and it's about helping people. And I also feel confident in the aspect of being able to listen and help someone process their trauma so um, that provides me with the amount of space to pursue art at the side I also think pursuing it full-time will have a very different approach because then your passion and work are so deeply intertwined that it can be just very pressurizing when you experience burnout Mm -hmm. Um, actually wouldn't say that I know much about art therapy uh, at all, but maybe you could tell us a bit about what art therapy entails. Mm. We talked about mm. uh, helping people go through their trauma, all that, and the mm. amount of 
like I think it would be nice to know like the mm. work that goes into it. Yeah. So put simply, art therapy is just a different form of therapy that utilizes art in order to help people process trauma and go through healing. So the art that we practice in in the sessions can be therapeutic in itself as an experience. But when you do art therapy, it involves having a therapist who is a competent and confident in helping the client um, arrange and structure the sessions in a way that is most appropriate for them and it depends on the assessment of the client and what their priorities are at the moment depending on let's say if you if the client is looking for short-term psychoeducation then perhaps it might be good to um teach them how to strategize different ways of mapping out their life using a creative journal. Or if a client has experienced severe trauma, perhaps then art can be used in a more cathartic way to further regulate their emotions and um, process things that they weren't able to articulate, especially because art is a medium that um, breaks breaks language boundaries and it can work with clients who are not uh, who are pre-verbal. Interesting. Yeah, mm, actually, that's yeah. a great point because um, I guess not everyone would be comfortable with using maybe like speaking or writing as a medium mm, to express yeah. their, their inner feelings, which I think art can provide a space for. And I didn't realize that. Me too, yeah. I guess, I guess like it has always been an option, but it's not something that comes immediately for me especially. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Um do you you mentioned that you were doing um was it an attachment or internship with mm. in your masters right now? Yeah, so in my master's, I'm currently doing a placement at Project X, mm. which is an organization that aims to support the well being and uh, welfare of sex workers in Singapore. So we help them out with um from an art therapy perspective, we help them out with providing individual clients with their sessions and we also ran a support group for um, people engaging in substance abuse um, and are in the pre-contemplative stage of um, of that aspect. Mm-hmm. When you first went into this, um, did you have like preconceived impressions or notions and like how has that changed over time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually... When I first went in, I I did look at the population in a in a rather pitiful way. I would think to myself that oh, you know, um, as a result of circumstances in life and not uh, not having enough money and lack of education, people had to turn to sex work in order to support themselves. And I found that very sad and pitiful. But I soon realized that um, this aspect of Self-empowerment also can be found in sex work, which is why Project X doesn't adopt a stance where where they try to um, tell sex workers to stop doing sex work, but instead um, they will support them through difficult times. And let's say sex workers are faced with robbery, harassment, stalking, or um, sexual assault, uh, we will help them out with legal cases if they decide to pursue those cases. And... From the art therapy side, I will help them try to process um, 
what they think is their priority in, in their healing journey. But currently for myself, my goals are more of psychoeducation for my clients. Mm. How much <clears throat> how much of this work um in other do you think it's communicated to the public? Because I feel like it's it's not something that we hear of a lot. Mm. And we were talking to this other guest, so he's interested in the space between art and um, education for young children. Mm. But he feels like there's not enough being said about these things, um, mm. such that it's almost like their work is not being recognized. Mm. You feel like it's the same way for art therapy as well? I do think it's a very, very small but growing industry, particularly because of how the relevance of mental health is increasing these days, um, which has been more significant in COVID times, and how um, so many clinics out there, uh, whether you're practicing art therapy or psychology, they are they keep getting so many clients and it's so difficult for people to even book slots nowadays because mm. mental health is just becoming such a big issue. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Um, do you feel like in, in wanting to help these people process their thoughts, like you yourself had to be, um, had to have a good system to manage your own, your own emotions mm, because mm. you're taking on other people's emotions mm. that can be difficult. Yeah. yeah. I think for myself especially, I'm someone who's super sensitive and empathetic to the point that if like my friends tell me problems, I'll definitely be affected for the day. And for me, it was something to learn. I used to think that my sensitivity um, was something that wasn't welcome. I think we're all brought up in this kind of society where talking about your feelings is not a norm and it's almost like a weakness if you're, um, if you happen to be very sensitive or you cry a lot. We're very used to criticizing ourselves for being like too emotional, um, but who put that standard there? And um, so for me, I came when I finally managed to process my own attachment styles and the reason why. I am the way I am and then I'm able to also understand myself in order to help people understand themselves. So I always, you know, tell other people that you must have, your, your cup must be full before you are able to pour into someone else's. Mm. And in a sense, when I, when I do take on different clients, it can be quite tiring because I do have an increased sense of responsibility that also needs to be regulated by um, having reflexivity, like always doing my process notes and reflections and um, doing response art with regards to whatever traumatic stories that I heard. And also just coming to the very like humble acknowledgement that I'm here to help my clients, but I'm only human and I, I always tell them in the beginning of the session that if you disagree with anything that I say, um, just feel free to let me know because I'm, I may get your pronouns wrong or I may forget things. I'm still human, but I'm here to to ultimately hear you and like walk through this journey with you. Mm. So after, after the sessions, I will also try to regulate myself by um, yeah, just acknowledging that I did my best. I can't imagine that's like easy at all. Mm-hmm. I'm like, 
a very emotional person. So mm. if I'm angry or sad or even happy and I'm laughing, I'll start crying. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think it it must take a lot of work for, on your end to really mm. be. I don't know to to really like hold space for other mm. people and um not let your emotions affect them as well. Mm. Yeah, there was this whole idea of um um self disclosure in a session. So if I'm empathizing a lot with a client, it doesn't mean that I necessarily need to tell them like, oh I understand exactly how you feel and I've been there before and then I unload on them. Mm. I think it doesn't work that way. So in a sense I do have to keep professional and maintain this sort of um this stance where I'm focusing on my client and what they need at that moment and whatever I need can be processed afterwards or before. Mm. One thing that was so apparent to me about like how you were describing your your process of processing emotions was like how much kindness you seem to direct to yourself. Because mm. I feel like, like for me it's easy to just feel like oh my gosh I need to do my best. Like, I need to, I need mm. to help this person and then feel upset with myself where I feel like I, I didn't manage mm. to do that. But for you, it sounds like you've you reached a point where you understand that you cannot do everything. Mm. And I find that's quite difficult for me to do sometimes. Mm. But very empowering as well. Mm. Yeah, because you're giving yourself space to to grow. Yeah, I think it also all comes to the realisation that we are all a work in progress. Right. And um, I think part of this work was also started because of my uh, final year project in uni where we launched a campaign called Girl Talk, like Girl Comma Talk. And that's about empowering female undergraduates to respond to sexual harassment on campus. And a lot of the times when people respond to harassment, they always blame themselves for not being able to respond in the right way that they wanted to and and to me it's always I tell them it's like a learning journey because you learn each from each circumstance and then you're able to um, react differently if you ever had that encounter again and if anything you definitely grew more as a person and you're able to understand more about your own boundaries and how to assert them um, it would be interesting for us to discuss a little bit about you and how you you said you attach and detach from your artworks mm. and, and how that translates into you and mm. life experiences as well. Mm. It seems how it, it's better to detach from I don't know, preconceived notions, mm. from your emotions and then allow that experience to mold you mm. but not trap you in its in this place. Yeah. Do you, do you, like, can you describe that process for us a little bit more? Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned in one of my artworks that life is a constant cycle of attachment and detachment um, where we, we learn from experiences like heartbreak and pain and at the same time, um, we're able to grow from them. With regards to um, attachment in my life, I try, I definitely try to, to envision qualities or experiences that I would like to uh, contain within myself. And then for, in terms of detachment, you can look at it as if, um, like on a daily basis or, you know, in, a, in different phases in life, what 
what things are occupying space in your heart that are so like heavy that you can take out and switch it with um, more healthy and nurturing things. So in a sense, I think, I mean, we can all afford to detach from like bad habits or negative thought patterns and then try to rewrite them or attach ourselves to more um, self-serving and healthier patterns. Um, maybe we can bring the conversation to like a, like a closure a little bit more. Um, would you see that you are content with yourself and where you are at right now? Mm, yeah, quite content actually. Oh, yeah, because I think um, as a practicing art therapist, like as a as a trainee, it has been a very fulfilling experience at Project X and um, just being able to um, witness and walk alongside different individuals is very uh, rewarding. I used to be very intimidated by entering this population um, that has experienced so much trauma and is particularly um, intertwined with the LGBTQ community, which is a community that I'm not entirely close to and I'm quite new with, honestly. So I was very intimidated because I was afraid that, you know, I would get people's pronouns wrong or I wouldn't understand them. But I realized after so much interactions with them, at the end of the day, it was so, so much more simple than I actually thought in my head. Like, I made up some imaginary distance between them and I thought, you know, I need to treat them specially. But in reality, um, they are just human and, and they are so lovable. Like, I, I really do love my clients. And yeah, it's very rewarding to, to, um, walk alongside them. Not in like a, it's not in a way that I make it about me, but it's really about the relationship between us and how um, raw and authentic that can be once people are willing to be vulnerable with each other and they can work, work towards a common goal. And to me, it's quite a magical process. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of An Open Invitation. We know that life can feel very lonely, and we hope that through these conversations, you will be able to find some comfort in knowing that many others feel the same way. Join us next week as we delve into the thoughts of someone new. You can find us on AOIPodSG on Instagram or Twitter. That is AOIPODSG. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts.